Well, good morning, everybody. It's always a privilege to speak to you. Today, we're going to continue our sermon series where we've been looking at the greatest sermon ever preached, the, the Sermon on the Mount, preached by Jesus Christ himself. So as we get started, you can pull the study guide out of your worship folder, fire up your Bible app, Matthew chapter 6, or maybe if you're old school, you got one of those things that's got a bunch of pieces of paper bound together, a book. If you got one of those, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. Hey, I like a paper Bible too, so you know, I guess I'm old school. While you're doing that, let me remind you that we've been working our way through this sermon bit by bit. And these last three weeks, we've been looking at various choices, right? Jay Aikens talked to us about the choice between storing up treasure on, in heaven and, have, and treasure on earth. Remember that? Then Pastor Jay talked to us about making choices between light and darkness. And last week, Alan Budd talked to us about the choice between, of which master you will serve. So we're going to finish out chapter 6 today, and we're going to talk about yet another choice that Jesus wants to challenge us about. So I'm going to start reading in verse 25, and you can follow along as I read the passage to you. Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. God, this morning as we look into your word, I just pray that it won't be something that's going to increase our knowledge. And God, may we act differently. May we think differently. May we, may we behave differently, God, because of the truth that's in this passage. Speak to us deeply from your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was January of 1995. I was a young IT professional, and I had achieved some success in my career since I'd moved here to Columbus about five years before. I'd been named Employee of the Year by my branch of my firm in 1994, and um, been promoted to technical manager. I wasn't a consultant out in the field anymore. I was overseeing 30 or 35 consultants. And it was in the backdrop of all that that I had lunch with a former coworker that uh, that sunny day in January, and we started talking a little bit, and we were talking about the business models that our respective companies used, and are expressing kind of our dissatisfaction with that. And as we started to talk, we began to kind of dream about what it might look like if we 
started our own consulting firm and we did things the way we would like to do them. And we kind of parted ways that day saying if the opportunity arose, we were going to take it and we were going to start our own company. By April, we had landed a contract with a large overseas firm that was looking to bundle cable, phone, and internet together. Now you say, well, everybody does that. Well, today, not then. In fact, nobody in the States was doing it then. And we saw a great opportunity, not just to get some work to put food on the table for a while, but that if we could get this work, we knew that companies in the States would do this, and we'd have work probably for a long time. And so by May, my friend had left his job and was working on this full time. I was working on it on the side. And by July, I'd left my job too, and we were both working away, and we were on our way. In August, later in the month, we got a phone call from the company saying that they were pulling the plug on the venture and pulling out of our contract. Now, they're a large overseas company, and we're two guys working out of our basements. It's not like we could fight them on it. And come September, we would have no income. We both had young families to feed. And so, at the end of that call, I had that feeling. You know the one I'm talking about. It starts in the pit of your stomach and washes over you. Anxiety. Stress. Fear. Worry. Maybe yours isn't about a job concern. Maybe yours is a late night phone call about a wayward child. Or maybe it's a bad report from the doctor. Or it's a grade that means you won't graduate. Or to try and decide which of a stack of bills you can actually pay this month. We've all faced these kind of moments. And if you haven't yet, you will. Jesus is addressing here a universal struggle we all have over how we're going to deal with difficult circumstances and if we're going to do it by worrying. So let's take a look at what the master teacher has to say about this in this passage. Now he starts out with that word therefore, right? We always say, you've got to see therefore, you've got to see what it's there for. So because of this, it's what it means, because of what? Well, we just said, this whole section's been dealing with choices, right, between the kingdom and the world, especially in regard to money. But Jesus has just said in verse 24 that you can't serve two masters, right? Remember that from last week? Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other, you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. So the context here is really saying, because we choose to serve the one true master, we can think in a way that's different than what the world thinks. And that's what Jesus is about to describe to us. So he starts in verse 25 saying that we shouldn't be worrying about our daily needs. He says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? 
Now, when he says, don't worry about your life, that word life is the Greek word psyche. It doesn't mean physical life, like breathing. It can mean the soul. We use that word in our culture today, right? It means how we're thinking and feeling. And the Greek word is talking about the seed of all desires, feelings, and affections, what some would call the heart. Jesus is telling us not to let our hearts be consumed over our needs. Now, of course, food and clothing are two fundamental, universal, physical needs of human life. But Jesus tells us that life is more than just food and clothing. In other words, he's saying there's more to life than just survival. Then he goes into more detail about the need for food. Verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? God oversees all of nature. He feeds the birds and the animals. They don't have to work for their food. God provides for them according to their needs, right? But Jesus here reminds us that people are more valuable than birds. If God provides for birds, he'll provide for us. Now, unlike the birds, we humans do have to work, and we do have to store up food to meet our needs. It's part of the curse of sin on mankind. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had all their needs perfectly and completely met by God. But when they sinned, it changed things. And God told them so in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. It says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken." We have to do our part through work to have our physical needs met because of the curse of sin. But God still has a hand in meeting our daily needs. Then in verse 27, he asks this question. Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Now, Jesus doesn't bother to answer the question because the answer is obvious. Can you add an hour to your life through worry? No, of course not. In fact, I would argue the opposite. The word worry in Greek, it's the word merimineo. It means to be pulled apart. Worry is not going to help with meeting any physical need. And it's going to actually hinder your physical health. Leads to a lack of sleep, which harms us. You ever have one of those sleepless nights? Your mind's going over some problem or concern that you have? I sure have we really need to do when that happens is stop turning these things over in our minds. Now, most Bibles also offer an alternate translation of this verse. If you have your Bible in front of you, you probably have one, and it goes something like this. Can you add a single cubit to your height by worrying? That's because the word single hour in the Greek is the word cubit. And it, mean, it can mean either an indistinct unit of time, like our word moment, or it can mean a unit of measure about 18 inches. But either way, the answer is both your lifespan and your height are not in your own control. They're up to God. Now, I know you can argue that making healthy choices and such will extend your lifespan. I've been eating healthier of late, get more exercise, and I, I feel a lot better. That's no guarantee, though, of a longer life. There might be a bus out there with my name on it. I don't know. 
But I'll say this, for sure, worrying isn't going to help you add time to your life. So the real question for us in terms of worry is, do we see ourselves as masters of our own fate, or do we see God as the ultimate overseer of all things? The point is that God is the one that's in control of our height and our lives. Then Jesus moves on to the need for clothing. He says, why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? You do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was not dressed like one of these. Now Jesus tells us that God clothes the flowers, right? And he specifically says the flowers of the field. Now remember, he's giving this sermon out on a hillside, so there might have been some flowers right there. There might have been a sermon illustration right in front of them, I don't know. But I think it's interesting he says of the field, not like in your garden, right? Now flowers in your garden might be more organized or cared for and so forth than wildflowers, but the wildflowers are just as beautiful. The point is that God takes care of how the flowers look even when no person is taking care of them. So here again, Jesus is making the point that flowers don't have to work to make their clothing, but because of the curse of sin, we do have to work to have our physical needs met, and God provides us clothing just the same as he does with food. Then once again, he's going to compare the the beauty God's given the flowers and his concern for people. In verse 30, it says, If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? God's given flowers and plants amazing beauty, but they come and go, right? We have this rose bush in front of our house next to the garage, and it just seems like those flowers come out of nowhere. You drive home from work one day and you're like, wow, look, there's a flower on that thing. But it seems like they're dried out and wilted just as quickly. Jesus is saying that humans have a lot more staying power than than flowers, and it tells us something about the relative worth of people over plants. Now, Jesus tacks on this little aside, you of little faith, right? He uses this phrase several times through the Gospels. He usually directs it at the disciples, And it's often a signal that Jesus is about to teach a deeper lesson in faith. And so now Jesus is finally about to spell out the choice we have to make. Do we choose worry or do we choose faith? And he talks about our reaction to it here in verses 31 and 32. He says, so don't worry saying what we eat, what we drink, or what will we wear. The pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Jesus is saying that worrying over our physical needs is not something his children need to be doing. Unbelievers, pagans, they do that. Why? Well, they don't know God, so they can't trust him to meet these needs. And Jesus reminds his listeners that God already knows that we have these needs before we even ask. He created us with these needs in the first place. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever really thought about why God created us to have these needs? He didn't have to do it that way. He didn't have to create us needing air to breathe or food to eat or clothing to protect us from the elements. Now, I'll be honest with you, up to a few weeks ago, I never really gave it a thought either. But some of us read during that week of prayer and fasting, we read John Piper's book, A Hunger for God. And Piper kind of talks about this stuff. And I think there's two things I, I drew from that, that that our need for food shows us. First, It helps us to realize every day our dependence on God to provide for us. 
Now, I don't know about you. God doesn't show up at my house with a bag of groceries and cook me a steak, you know. But he does give me the ability to earn a living so that I can buy food. Piper talks about how God met the needs of the Israelites in the desert by giving them manna, this miracle bread that dropped to them every day from heaven, and there was no food for them otherwise. But Piper says through this picture of manna, God's saying to us, don't trust in bread, not even miracle bread, trust in God. Second reason I think God's, what he wants to show us through this need for food is it provides a physical picture of how our souls should hunger for God. Piper asserts that the need for food and periodic fasting from food shows us how our spirits should more and more be hungering and thirsting after God. Our desire for God should be every bit as intense, even more so than our desire for food. And that brings us to verse 33, where I think we get to the ultimate point of all this. Jesus says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek God's kingdom first. Seek to reflect God's righteousness. Don't chase after food or clothing or material things. Chase after God. God says he's going to meet your, your, your basic needs, but that's not where our focus should be. Put him first, and our physical needs will be given to us as well, or added to us, as the ESV and the King James say. Remember about five weeks back, we studied through the Lord's Prayer? Right? Jesus has uh, given it to the folks listening to his sermon about 20 verses back. And that prayer makes the exact same point. Seek the kingdom first. Remember, there's six requests in this example prayer of Jesus. Remember the three plus three pattern Pastor Steve talked to us about? First request is, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Each of these first requests are about seeking the kingdom first. Jesus puts heavenly things first in his prayer, and he's showing us we should do the same thing. Then we get to give us this day our daily bread. Now we get to our physical needs, but only after the kingdom-seeking requests. We need to put our hunger for God first, and our desire to have our daily needs met after that. In other words, put the eternal before the temporal. When the pursuit of God is the all-consuming passion in your life, physical deeds being met will just be added bonus. Something added on to the gifts God's already giving you through following after Him. Again, Piper says in a hunger for God that Jesus is telling us, don't get your deepest satisfaction from food. Even God brought miracle food like manna, but from God. Then Jesus finishes out the passage in verse 34. He says, don't, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. My wife always says, don't borrow trouble. And I think that's part of this. A lot of us struggle not so much with the fact that God is going to meet our needs, but it's the daily meaning of our needs. Or let me say it this way. 
It's not whether God's going to provide. It's when he's going to provide. A lot of us, we want our needs to be met well in advance, with a schedule all mapped out, just to be sure God's going to do it when we want it done and the way we want it done, right? Some years ago, I was in a small group with a lady that really struggled with this. And what helped her, and it really did help her, was this truth from Scripture. Psalm 23, verses 1 and 2. David says this. A lot of you, I'm sure you know it. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, here's the thing. I don't think in America that we really understand this verse like what David meant. So when you think green pastures in your mind, what are you picturing? Like Kansas or something, right? Or the prairies we have here in the Midwest. David lived in Israel. What he thought of as a green pasture, we would call a desert. It was enough grass for the sheep for one day. God doesn't promise to meet every need we're ever going to have in our lives right now. He promises to meet them when we need them. Even that picture of manna speaks to this. You know, the manna would come down and they would gather it up and it was no good the next day. God's trying to show us we have to trust Him. We have to not trust in ourselves, but in Him. A friend of mine used to say, God is rarely early, but He's never late. So in the time we've got left, I want to share with you five applications I'd like, to see, I'd like you to see about this subject of worry. Here's the first one, and it's easy. Worry is worthless. It's worthless. It accomplishes nothing. As we already talked about, worry doesn't change anything, and it harms you. There's a reason why that Greek word means to be pulled apart. I know in my case, I think about some of the things I've thought about, or I think about, you know, how many of those really happen? It's worthless. Jesus has told us here that worry is unnecessary. It's unfruitful. It's unworthy of subjects of his kingdom. There's some of us, we, we hang on to worry and, and anxiety like it's going to help us somehow. Or maybe we've grown so used to it, we just kind of need to worry. Or we can get to the point of thriving on stress and fear and drama. Instead, we've got to let that go. Hand it over to God. That's what Peter is telling us in 1 Peter 5, 7. Where he says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, here's, here's my thing for you. Don't just read that verse or quote it. Do it! <laughs> Whatever your issue is, hand it over to God and leave it there. Let it go. That leads me to my second point. Worry displays a lack of trust in God. Now, before we get too far with this, let me make a very important distinction here between concern and worry. Concern is fine. We need that. You can't just say, well, I don't have a job, but I'll just sit around here until God provides, right? 
Or, you know, I don't have any food, but I'll just sit here until somebody shows up with some stuffs at my mouth. You know, we can't, we can't act like that. Scripture tells us we can't put God to the test. Don't worry doesn't mean don't plan or don't work or don't do anything. Concern's a healthy thing. It helps us to do our part in meeting our needs. Jesus never condemns people for recognizing their basic needs. He just calls on us to have, depend on God to have them met. Not self-reliance, but God-reliance. If you've been around here a while, maybe you've heard folks say, the Reverend Jerry Fowler used to say this, work like it's all up to you, but pray like it's all up to God. If you, if you have a need, I encourage you in your prayers, take them to God, remind him. Not like God's going, did I really promise that? I forget. No, not, not that at all. Remind, tell him you know about that promise and you're expressing your dependence on him by asking him to fulfill his promise. So what's the difference between concern and worry? I would say this. Concern is when you can do something to help the situation. So you do what you can. Maybe you make a plan or take some concrete steps to move toward that need being met. Worry is when you can't meet the need by yourself, but you obsess over it. You don't want to leave it up to God. I think concern is more of a thought process, but worry consumes your soul. And worry is really doubting God's ability to provide, especially when God promises to provide the basics for us. It's taking His role on ourselves. And you know, despite how I've acted over the years... I've really come to understand that God's really a much better God than I am. Go figure. Maybe you've heard the serenity prayer. It goes like this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Scripture tells us all over the place, not to fear. We need to trust God. Here's just a couple, real quick. Psalm 9, verse 10. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who trust you. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. A lot of you probably know the, this, these uh, scriptures here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trusting in God, having faith, that's what cures fretting. Faith sees things as they truly are, which leads to peace. God is in control. Child of God, He's not forgotten you. Regardless of how tough your need is to meet where you think it is now maybe this is going to sound kind of harsh but i'm telling you worry is a sin if jesus is really your true first love then you act like you can't trust him to meet your needs or to look after you it's like this indictment against him it's like a slap at his love it's like we're saying he's not telling us the truth when he says that God will meet our needs. Hebrews 11.6 says this. 
Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Trust Him. Choose faith rather than worrying. And it is a choice. Third thing I want you to see. God will meet our needs, but not necessarily our wants. Now, there's something interesting, I think, about both these physical needs that Jesus talks about here. It's true that we need both food and clothing. We need food so we don't starve. We need clothing so we don't freeze when it's cold out like it was yesterday. There's an aspect of both of these that aren't always needs. They can become wants instead. We can eat food beyond what we need to live. Now, I know this is going to be a stunner for some of you, but we don't need ice cream to survive. Despite what you might think. <laughs> or you can get wrapped up in clothing in a way that goes beyond the need for protection from the elements. You know, being a fashionista, right? Where clothing becomes this, this obsession. Some people today equate faith with the ability to get things from God. Probably on any Sunday morning, you can turn on your TV and hear some of them. Like somehow these promises to provide... Make God like some cosmic genie. You know, if we just pray the prayer of the right formula, he's going to give us stuff. God promises to supply our need, but not our greed. 1 Timothy 6. Paul says this, starting in verse 8. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now just like Jay Aikens taught us a few weeks back, having money is not a sin. But putting the desire for money first before God, that is a sin. Fourth thing I want you to see. We need to turn worry into joy. Worry is sort of the opposite of joy, the anti-joy, as it were. Instead, be hopeful. Focus on positive things. You know, seeking the kingdom first, chasing after God, rather than stuff that's going to help us get there. Now, Paul tells the same message to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 4, and I want to read this passage to you, and I'm asking you to listen carefully to what Paul is saying here, okay? I'm going to start reading in verse 4. It's on your study guide. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the peace of God will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. 
I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Some of you here today, these verses need to be your constant companion. Paul says here, he knows what it meant to be in need. Now think about it. He's traveling all over Europe and the Middle East on foot, going from town to town, spreading the gospel, planting churches, often oppressed, thrown into jail, snake bit, shipwrecked. And yet, he tells us to rejoice twice. He reminds us to be gentle, he reminds us that God is near. He tells us not to be anxious, but to pray instead. Take your knee where it can actually get met. And if we do that, we'll have a peace that's beyond all understanding. He tells us to think about positive things. Create advice if you're battling worry. He tells us to follow the example of godly leaders, and that will also give us peace. He rejoices in the gifts the Philippians gave to him, and not because he had need, but because it demonstrated their, their faith and their love for Christ. He says he's learned to be content, whatever the circumstances, and he's really challenging us to do the same. And he finishes by, by saying he can't do this just because he's some super Christian or something. He does it because it's the power of Christ in him. In other words, he sought God first, and all these things were added to him. If you struggle with worry, I want to challenge you to try something. Put these verses on that sheet in one place for a reason. Read these verses, these 10 verses, every day for the next month. Or better yet, memorize them. If you read them every day, you might memorize them whether you want to or not. And I'm serious about this. Just like Pastor Jay told us two weeks ago, fill your mind with truth. Having these truths planted firmly in your mind is going to help you every day as you battle through difficult circumstances. When worry comes, fight back with truth. Jesus used Scripture to fight temptation. That's a pretty good example to follow, don't you think? Know the truth and put God first. One last thing I want you to see today. The sacrifice of Jesus frees us from worry. Back when we started chapter 6, Pastor Steve said that true righteousness is not about behavior, but about the heart. Remember that? We don't have to be in bondage to the need to be noticed or respected or recognized. Christ's death has freed us from a performance treadmill. Well, it's also freed us from a prison of worry. How do I know it? The gospel tells us. In fact, Paul spells it out for us very clearly in one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to start reading in verse 31. Listen to what Paul is saying here. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things 
God gave us the sacrifice of Jesus to save us from an eternity separated from him. He gave up that which had an incalculable cost. The spilled blood of Jesus Christ, his only son. And we worthy over whether God can meet our needs? We don't see things like they really are. A little food or clothing is nothing compared to the gift given to us by God in the cross work of Jesus. But Paul goes on. Verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one that condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Believer, you have Jesus in your corner. He's interceding for you right now. The same Jesus that overcame death and the grave and is living and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. If he can do all that, he's plenty big enough to meet your needs. Then verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Now notice here, Paul includes both of the needs we've been talking about today, right? Food and clothing. But of course, the lack of neither of those, or anything on the list for that matter, is going to separate us from God's love. And then he continues in verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christian, you are more than a conqueror. Say that to somebody around you. I'm more than a conqueror. Okay, you said it, but do you believe it? Do you live like you believe that Christ will meet your, he met your ultimate need, the need for your sin to be forgiven, so he'll also meet your daily needs? Do you live like nothing can ever separate you from his love? Do you live like one who cannot be condemned? Or do we listen to the lies and accusations of the enemy in our lives? Do you live like one that God is for? So you can stand up to anything that comes against you? You are more than a conqueror. Because Jesus is the ultimate conqueror of sin and death. You don't have to be a slave to anxiety and stress and fear and worry. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ sets us free from the prison of worry. started off with a story about that difficult situation I faced where I needed God to provide. And, and I want to share with you how it ended because I want to honor God through how he worked. An older friend suggested to me I do what Gideon did and respectfully asked God to show me through a tangible sign what to do. And if you don't know about Gideon's situation, you can read about that in Judges chapter 6. So I did that. And starting in late September, 
I asked God to provide work for me by the end of October. And if no work came, I'd take that as a sign. He wanted me to give up on the company and go look for a job working for somebody else. Now, I didn't just sit around and wait for something to come to me. I did my part. I made lots of phone calls and had lots of meetings, and I was all over town running around, and I prayed like crazy. And I had some folks that came alongside me and prayed with me. My small group was awesome. One guy I met with was kind of new, and he was rude. He's like, well, we would never be looking for someone like you to do something for us. And I'm like, well, thanks for that, you know. On October 31st, I got two offers, including one from the rude guy <laughs> who said, we need someone desperately, can you start tomorrow? God is rarely early, but he's never late. Yeah. It's been a lot of years, but I still get choked up thinking about that story. Corrie Ten Boom, the Dutch Christian who hid Jews from the Nazis in her walls during World War II, then herself ended up in a concentration camp, said this, look around and be distressed. Look inside and be depressed. Look at Jesus and be at rest. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to do some business with God here. I just know, partly because I had this sense and because I've struggled with this myself, but also because I've seen what happened in the last two services, I know that God's talking to some of you about this, this issue of worry. If you're somebody who's really struggling with worry, would you do this for me? Just raise your hand and say, Pastor Joe, pray for me. Wow, I see hands all over the place. Thanks for your honesty. Listen, folks, put your hands down. I, this is for you. I'm going to ask you to take that Philippians 4 challenge I gave you earlier. There's a little box on your sheet. I asked them to put it on there because this is a commitment between you and God. Saying, God, I'm going to read these verses every day of the next month and fill my mind with truth to combat worry. So I challenge you, think about doing it. But if you're going to make the commitment, it's a commitment to God, keep it. Secondly, I just suspect there's a lot of folks in this room that are facing some big challenges right now. If that's you, would you raise your hand and say, Pastor Joe, pray for me. Lots of us. Thank you. Well, let me pray. I just want to remind you guys, the prayer partners are going to be available, and they would love to pray with you about your needs. God, thank you for these beautiful truths that you've given us. But we don't have to worry. We can cast these cares on you because you care for us. And so, God, for all the folks in this room right now that are struggling with worry, just like I know I have so many times, God, I pray, bring them that peace that passes all understanding. Help them, God, to give it over to you 
Just like that, that fellow that came to Jesus and said, help my unbelief, God, help them to let go. It's hard. And I pray, God, that you would bring them that peace that passes all understanding that can only come from you. So God, as these folks seek after you this morning and as they go from here today, walk with them, be close to them. And God, for the folks that are facing needs, I know a lot of needs in this room are tough. And God, my heart breaks for them just like yours does. I pray right now, God, meet every need. Financial, or family, or job, or whatever it is, God. You know every single one of them, and you know exactly what needs to happen. God, I pray that you would be the need meter for each one and help them to let go too. God, we just uh, thank you for sharing these things with us that help us to know that we don't have to walk this alone. And so, be with us now as we respond today. May this time be sweet, a sweet aroma in your nostrils, God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.